I want to talk about spiritual security in an unsecure world. Spiritual security in an unsecure world. And I'm going to ask if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 11 through 14. And as you turn to it, with everything that's taking place in Israel, things that are on the news, I, for believers, there's a mixture of emotions. There's a part of me that I, I, I hear what's going on and I start going, hmm, Lord, the signs of the times indicate that you could rapture your church soon. There's another part of each of us that when things like this happen, I begin to recognize the value of having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and there's a lot of people I love whose names are not there. And so there's this mixture of emotions that goes through us as we recognize the signs of the times indicate you could come at any moment versus there are yet many people that I love that I want them to intersect the grace of Jesus Christ and respond to that. And so, for those of you that are finding yourselves in a place of, where do I stand spiritually? I believe that God will give us some instruction on that today. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, it says, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory... And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Lord, we recognize the need of the help of the Holy Spirit as you lead us and guide us into truth. And Lord, may we not be hearers only of the Word, but would you activate in us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit the ability to act on the Word in obedience. And in doing so, recognize that even though we live in an unsettled and unsecure world, there is peace that surpasses understanding that settles in our heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. It is God's desire for you this morning that you as His people will feel secure in His love and in His power and in your relationship with Him. We are living in times when everything around us is unstable. Many of you are experiencing unstable health. Some of you are unstable in your families or your job or your education, certainly in our society, absolutely in our political system, our weather, the threats of war. And any of these things begin to take place, it can, it can have the effect of shaking our being to the point where we wonder, what is going on? And, and sometimes, depending on what your life may be like, you may feel as if you're standing on the ledge of a sky rise with winds blowing and you're afraid that you are about to fall and everything you try to grab seems to fall out with you. These are unpredictable times on multiple levels. And if there is one New Testament individual that would give us a lesson on what it is like to live stably in an unstable world, it probably is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 28, he describes his life this way. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for the churches. I read something like that, and I'm going, I'm not traveling with that man. I don't know how anybody could be so unlucky and yet so frequently exposed to danger, opposed on every side, so weak with hunger and sleeplessness, we look at this and say, how in the world did he avoid a nervous breakdown? Not only avoid a breakdown, but in the middle of an unstable world, demonstrated that he was powerful in his relationship with Christ, and so, uh, so much powerful in this and so driven by it that even as an old man was planning other places that he wanted to go and plant churches. The stability of the relationship of the Apostle Paul in the middle of an unstable world demonstrates one great thing for us. God's desire for His people is that we would feel and that we would know that we are secure in His love and power even when everything else in our world is uncertain. I want you to know that today as a child of God. And for those of you that don't know Jesus today, whether you are in this room or whether you are joining us online, and maybe you're joining us because of the unstable nature of our world, and you're thinking, I'm trying to grasp for something that I can hang on to. I can't wait to introduce you to Jesus, who is the answer to your questions in a shaking world. Three points that I want to share with you today, and we're going to rush through a lot of stuff. Number one, God threatens our security in everything but Him. God threatens. He has the right to shake your world and shake away from you everything but Him. One of the great obstacles to our enjoyment of the security is what seems like contradiction of terms as it relates to certain scriptures where we recognize that God is our full sufficiency and that He is the one that provides for us all these things. And yet there are certain scriptures that we read that can lead us into confusion. And I want to read those to you today as it relates to these scriptures don't exactly build great confidence in my security, in my relationship with God, such as Romans 11, 20 through 22, when it says, do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in His kindness Otherwise, you will be cut off. Great. Makes me feel secure in that one. How about this one? 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Or 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you were in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest 
if we don't give up. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Colossians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death <clears throat> to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope of the gospel. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We look at this and we're going, okay, in the middle of my wanting to feel secure in the Lord and my wanting to feel secure in the relationship, we are confronted with a number of different scriptures that tell us that we need to tread carefully. Let me just tell you something. Each of these passages speak to us about the genuineness of the Christian life is one of perseverance and holiness. Perseverance and holiness. Basically, what these scriptures are doing is it warns us that Anything that you attempt to build your security on outside of Jesus Christ Himself, He has the right to shake it until it falls down. We would be under a terrible misunderstanding of Scripture if we were to think that God is giving us these Scriptures to cause us to fear where we are with Him. However, what He wants you to know is this. If you find your security in your health or in your looks, the Bible will be a threat to you. If you find your security in relationships, in family, in your marriage, on your job, in your money, on your nationality, in your education, the Bible will be a threat to you. And threatening all of these utterly inadequate foundations of your security, which are false security, the Bible drives in the point relentlessly and lovingly that if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the security that you can find is staying in His Word and staying obedient to the direction that He leads you in. Therefore, when God demands on one hand, turn from your sinning or you will die, and on the other hand, He says, feel secure in my love and you will live, He's not demanding two different things, nor is He trying to confuse us. He is simply reminding the church, your security is based upon my ability to hold you on the solid rock. And if you stay there, and if you plant yourself there, then you're going to be just fine. In fact, it tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Likewise, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand the rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell down with a great crash. Here's what I want you to notice. Just because you build your house on the rock doesn't mean you don't go through the storm. The winds blew, 
it rained, the floods came. The difference in being destroyed in the middle of that and being secure in the middle of that is where did you build your foundation? Jesus Christ said, I am the rock. And if you build your life on him, you need to know that there is a security that will always hold you if, in fact, you choose to receive him as your savior and then live the way you want. You are in danger. Let me say this to you. Your salvation experience is an introduction, not a destination. Meaning that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are choosing to follow him in all things. So if you were feeling insecure in your relationship, it may very well be that the Lord says, I'm shaking every foundation that is not me so that you come running back to the core of your love for me and desire for me. Secondly, God desires his people to live in relational security. In our text, we see one of the clearest statements of a desire of what God wants to do in us and through us. And the first and most important thing that we see in these verses is it begins and ends with God ultimately wanting all of the glory through our lives. In fact, he states in verse 12 of Ephesians 1, we are destined and appointed to live for the praise of His glory. This realigns our life experiences. So if you are a self-centered person, if you are selfish, if you believe that your whole family centers around you, that the whole world has to center around you, you're not going to do well with this. Because the Lord simply says to us that when you enter into a relationship with me, your whole life founded upon me is going to give me glory. In other words, you will sacrifice your will for his will. It's not that he has to please you. It's that you enter in to please him. And so he says, you were destined and appointed to live in security when your life brings me glory. Verse 14, it says, he has guaranteed our inheritance to the praises of his glory. In other words, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Do you know that when you get there, you're allowing your life to, to bring him glory? The fact that you were there, have been received through him, is going to cause him to be gloried and praised for eternity. He said, this is the goal, is that the first and foremost thing is that in relationship with me, you glorify me. He is committed to his unwavering commitment to receive the glory in everything. And everything he does is to heighten the intensity with which we elevate him in our lives and praise him. The second thing that this verse takes note of is that the people whose inheritance God guarantees are those that believe the gospel. Let that just sink in a minute. It's not just receiving him and asking him forgiveness of sin. It's then following through with believing the gospel. Ephesians 1.13 says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so there's a confession, but there's a belief that comes with this. Say, why do I feel so insecure in the Lord? It might be that you have not believed his word. I've, I've often said I know some people that receive Christ and it's hell insurance. You know, I just, I just Lord, I, I'm going to say the prayer because I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not really interested in following you. If that's you today, there's a reason for you to feel a little insecure. 
Because you're entering into a relationship by which he said, if you believe the gospel, I will mark you with the promised Holy Spirit and seal you with that. And so there's a direct connection between believing God's word and living for his glory. And one of the greatest things we do when we trust to honor people is that we trust them. And since God is committed to his own honor above everything else, he is utterly committed to those who trust his word. You want to know you're secure? Believe the gospel. Trust his word. The third thing that you note from this text is just what you would expect. Since God does all things for the praise of his glory, and since believing his word magnifies that glory, therefore God takes the decisive steps to secure for himself the magnification of his glory forever, and he seals you with his Holy Spirit. What that means is that he is passionately committed to making sure that you don't walk alone in an unsecure world. So, when people receive Jesus as their Savior and they ask Him to forgive them of their sin, what He does is He instills within you the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. Now, what happens in the middle of that is because the Holy Spirit lives within you, He then begins to, what we use this term, convince or convict you. When you are wandering on a trail that does not please him or that he would be ashamed to go. So there are people, and I've had them tell me, I refuse to feel shame of the Holy Spirit. I said, you better not refuse the convicting power of the Holy Spirit because he is doing his best living within you to bring you back to a place where you can feel secure because you're walking in obedience. That's the purpose of the Spirit living within us, to empower us and to make sure that when we begin to walk off trail, he taps us on the shoulder with, through the conscience and says, uh, 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 don't take me there. Uh, 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 don't, don't you do that. that. That is not where I'm comfortable living. I want you secure in relationship, and so here is my plan. Here's my pathway for you. In other words, you are not doing this life alone when Jesus Christ is in your life. Again, reminding us that salvation is not an introduction or is only an introduction. It's not the destination. And then lastly, God chooses and predestines and seals His people. Some people really, really get hung up on these words that God chose, God elected, God predestined, and in fact, theologians in the church have been divided on this matter for a number of centuries about what exactly that means. I would like to share with you that what God's election doesn't mean, and then share with you a little bit more positively about what it does mean. The election of God does not mean that God chose some for salvation and some for damnation. Theologians, I believe, have missed this, some of them, as it relates to that. But God has not created some people specifically for the purpose of damning them to hell. Scripture only speaks of the choice that everybody must make for salvation. So what did He choose us for? He chose us to be holy. He chose us to be separate. He chose us to be blameless. He chose us for adoption as sons. And so election does not mean that God's free will to choose violates your free will to decide. Let me repeat that. I want you to think about this. Election does not mean God's free will to choose violates your free will to decide. Every single person has to decide what to do with Jesus themselves. 
It's got to be a personal decision. Revelation 22, 17 says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears, let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whosoever or whoever wishes, let him take of the water of life. The invitation is to all humanity. Every one of us have been invited in to an opportunity to settle things with the Lord and know that what he has done, he has done for you. All of you are invited, whosoever will. However, he will not violate your free will to choose. I love D.L. Moody's explanation of this election. He said, it's really simple. The whosoever wills are the elect. The whosoever won'ts are the non-elect. The Lord Jesus Christ voted for my salvation. The devil voted for my damnation. And I voted with the Lord, and we've got the majority. Oh, hallelujah, today that we stand with the one who died for us. So what does election and predestination mean to us in, in a positive sense? Dr. George Wood states it this way. It means that the Lord never varied in his feelings towards you and towards me. He is not up one day and down one day in his relationship with us as we are with him. There are some times that we feel his presence and, and that we feel more in love with him than others. He's never had that kind of a day. There are not moments when God necessarily feels closer to you because his attitude toward you is one of constant, unfailing, steady love. Do you know that God chose you before the creation of the world? Let that sink in. God chose you to exist before the creation of the world. This demonstrates his permanence and his constancy of his love toward you. And then there are two great words that are thrown in here, and I want to kind of complete this message with these words. Sealed and guarantee. Sealed and guarantee. The word seal is used in three different ways in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 27, 66, it talks about the tomb of Jesus was secured by having it sealed, and they put guards around it. And in Revelation 23, it talks about God is going to throw Satan into a pit, and he's going to seal it over that so that he cannot escape. So, so there is one, one meaning of the word sealed in the Scripture that means something is locked up or something is closed in. Another meaning of the word seal is found in Romans 4.11 where Abraham's circumcision is called a sign or a seal of righteousness that he had in faith. 1 Corinthians 9.2, Paul says that his converts were a seal of his apostleship. In other words, the second meaning of the word seal in Scripture is a sign of authenticity. It is a sign of authenticity. The third meaning is found in Revelation 7.3 where the seal of God is put on the forehead of God's servants. Now, we can't see it, but the moment I received him, he planted it there, which means that when we begin to look forward to the rapture of the church, it will take place because of the seal of the Holy Spirit that is placed upon us that will be recognized by the Spirit as he calls us. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with him forever to be with the Lord. Well, how does he know whose is his? He has sealed us with that. And so this 
sign of identification. This ceiling is, a, is to protect us and a sign of identification. And so we look at this and say, well, which, which of the seals fits here? All of them do. They all fit here. Because the Spirit has sealed you and shut you in. And there are moments in our lives when we are praying for the protection of God. And he goes, I've got you hidden behind my hand. I've, I've sealed you in in protection of this. The Spirit is a sign of authenticity. That the Spirit's work within our life and salvation is real in us. And our sonship and our daughtership is real and authentic. And the Spirit of God has sealed us and lives within us as the sign that we are authentic. It's the divine reality of God within our lives. Or if the Spirit marks us with identifying us as being His, then He protects us from the evil forces because you cannot be demon-possessed and be a child of God. There is no war over the throne when Jesus is there. Now, you may be oppressed and you may be battled and you may be in a war, but you are not demon-possessed if Jesus Christ sits on the throne and room of your life. He has sealed you. Over 41 years ago, Cindy and I had the privilege of marrying one another. Both of our fathers are pastors, so they were both standing up there. And after we shared our vows with each other, number one, after, after she showed up, and I was so great when she, so relieved that she was actually there. There came this moment after we shared vows with each other that we were handed rings. And I remember taking that beautiful hand of that young lady, and I slid a ring on her finger, and as I did so, her, her father says, repeat after me, this is a symbol of the commitment that I'm making to you, a visible symbol. In other words, I sealed her. I sealed her. I don't own much in this world, but I own my wife. That's my relationship. She, she is mine, and I sealed that relationship with a ring. She then took a ring and put it on my finger, and she sealed me in that relationship as, you belong to me now, buddy, and I've never dressed myself one day since. The sealing aspect, and, and when we think about that in the terms of we being the bride of Christ and the sealing, he says, I am sealing my bride. We belong to him. He belongs to us. And in the middle of an unsecure world, he reminds us that what I have started in you, I will finish. Stay faithful to the process in all of this. And in fact, Hebrews 8.10 is, is God's ring ceremony. Worship team, if you'd please come. He says to this, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the ring ceremony. Sealed. Sealed. Preserving, authenticating, and identifying. I don't have a lot of time with the guaranteeing part, but I'll just say this. Because the Holy Spirit indwells you, the moment when you come to know Him, when the Lord's voice calls for us, the Holy Spirit will respond within us and just take our bodies with us. It is the guarantee that everything that God has promised us in eternity. I told you I could speak a series about each of these, and we rushed through it today. But what I want to tell the church is this. You keep following the Lord and keep your life upon the rock, and you are secure. You are secure. If there's anything else in your life that you are trying to build security on that is not him, he has every right to shake it till it falls down. 
because he is a jealous God and he alone is the rock that will not fail.